Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. This is Chris and we're down on the beach at Bondi, enjoying the beautiful sunrise, getting ready for a Tuesday and uh, all that it has to offer. You know, one of the stories that I had forgotten a little bit, but is still powerful in my mind, is a period of time when I was living in New York and I had a girlfriend by the name of Pam, and Pam uh, not only had a, a day job as a HIV nurse uh, who went house by government support, went to people's houses who had HIV and administered all the drugs that needed to be uh, given in order to help that person. And they were in varying states of uh, disruption. This was at a time before the current medicine. And so she would give them a drip or a needle or whatever it was and tend to their needs. But she was quite qualified in that field. But Pam had a deep association with uh, an amazing place that I got to work in up in uh, Harlem, I think 136, even further street, there was a, a Catholic hospital for children. And all of the children in this hospital had uh, varying states of HIV or addiction, drug addiction, that were born to parents who were HIV positive or uh, highly addicted. And the child comes into this world uh, completely addicted to cocaine or heroin or whatever it was. And there was this Catholic hospital. And I honestly, uh, I must say, I forget the name of it, but there would be, it was a huge uh, building an old, old red brick building. Uh, supported primarily by funding and the church. Filled with hundreds of beds. And people like myself could come there and volunteer <coughs> to read stories to the kids and play with them and sit with them. Some of them uh, were not well. I mean, extremely not well. And it wasn't uncommon to go there and read a story to a kid who was on some sort of medical apparatus and come back the next day and no child would be there they would have passed overnight. So the life expectancy of all of the people in this place was not long. They couldn't be cared for at home. <coughs> Some of them had actually been abandoned, but I think most were in a state of dis disruption before they were even born. So they were not necessarily, I don't think they ever went home and probably there was no home to go home to.
maybe. We weren't given any background of any child. Uh, they weren't all of one particular color or race. Uh, so there was no sense of racism in the whole thing. It was just difficult circumstances that these children had been born into. And when you work with them, they're little joyful eyes and some of them are in quite a degree of discomfort or chemical sedation. But the joy these kids had for life was incredible. And how little it took to bring that joy to the surface was absolutely astonishing. Just two little blocks with A and B written on them. Someone had donated or a little puppet that used to make, put your hand inside and make it talk. There were no masks. I didn't wear a mask. So the hospital was fully cognizant of the realities of HIV. It wasn't going to be transmitted through that sort of contact. Some of the kids were, in fact, behind uh, shields because they had an immune, their immune system was so broken that the hospital feared uh, contamination from visitors. I worked there, uh, not every day, but as often as I could for about 12 months during my time, early times in New York. It was quite a threatening uh, service. I had to catch a subway down into parts of the world where, well, I really stuck out like a sore thumb and walk through an area that Pam took me through three times to make sure everybody knew who I was because they knew her. And uh, it, by association, I got a ticket to walk through the areas. But had I not done that with Pam, I would have been an unwelcome intruder, a, a tourist lost or whatever. I walked down a street with, I think at that time there would have been 50 burnt out stolen cars, <laughs> a main a sort of a city street. And it was the local dumping ground for stolen cars where people stripped them and burnt them. I walked past brownstones <coughs> where people were sitting outside and I was looked at but remembered for being associated with Pam. They didn't really care why I was there. I guess the fact I was with Pam, they must know that Pam was involved in this hospital. <coughs> but the little kids Every day I went there and took the, the one hour train journey down to the hospital to work with the kids for a couple of hours and then go back. 
the, the, the gifting and the smiles and the joy and somehow the reality of life made it worthwhile every time I went there. They, they were helpless. They were vulnerable. And you ask yourself <clears throat> when you talk about life purpose and you talk about nature's laws and you talk about the mystery of life and you look up today and there's at, at, at uh, six o'clock in the morning, the full moon's high in the sky. And you ask yourself, why? Why would that child, why would that baby, why would that person be brought into this earth to suffer just a few years? I think the oldest there was five. Why would they be brought in to suffer such a short period? And, you know, sometimes we have to have faith. Sometimes we can't rationalize in our logical brain this, and we have to deny the existence of suffering and evil, and we have to have faith, which is affirmed, in a sense, that the universe is a loving, beautiful, wonderful, spectacular place. And the suffering of these children is a part, is a part of that. It's just so easy to f slide into empathy and sympathy and feeling sorry for them and then be of no damn use. <clears throat> you can't walk in and sit beside a bedside of a child like that and look at them as if they're a dying being. You, you, you go there and treat them as if they're a magnificent flower or a rose or something that is so beautiful, but you know it's not going to last forever. But you celebrate it. You celebrate the, the smell and the aroma and the beauty of it as it is. And you don't sit there going, oh damn, this rose won't last forever. To be of help to people, to be of service, to be a leader, you must be able to affirm and, 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 and believe in the beauty of the world and the beauty of people and the, the magnificence of the universe. You must hold that and deny, completely deny this easily attached to other side which witnesses suffering and goes, well, this, this world is cruel. I have compassion. I have empathy. I have... Uh, sorrow for, I feel sorry for them, which is a sense of superiority. It's, it's far wiser to let the past be the past. I don't know why they're there. Let history be history. Let some things be the unknown. But have faith, trust, hope, that every moment these little ones existed was a moment of joy and love and beauty. And that was their function, to be here for a short period and not ask why. It's a great memory and it was a powerful, powerful, life-changing experience for me. Uh, I didn't volunteer. Pam uh, was my girlfriend and Pam did it and I went and it was by, I guess, by accident that I ended up there. But 
as we know, there are no accidents and I could have chosen not to. So I, in a way, fell into this situation and for a whole year, and even after Pam and I broke up, which wasn't long after we, uh, I started working at, uh, doing the volunteer work at the hospital on my spare days, uh, I kept going back. I didn't feel good about myself. I didn't feel like I was doing something spectacular in the world. It was hard. It was a hard gig to get there. It was a hard gig getting back. So each time I went there, it was like, there is just nothing I'd rather do. And when I was there, I didn't seek to be uh, in any way rewarded by, wow, look at I've done. I just went, did, and came back. And there was just nothing I would rather have done in the time that I spent there. I learned a lot to myself about service, about service to other people in that experience for those kids. I learnt not to get attached to them. Wow. I learnt not to expect an outcome from the joy I gave them. Because, as I said, many times I'd go back and they were gone. They'd passed away. And you couldn't tell. That was quite amazing. You couldn't tell. Who was going to die overnight? You couldn't tell the healthy from the unhealthy. They were all unhealthy, but you couldn't tell who was vulnerable and who wasn't. Because their lungs would surrender or some part of their psychology would, uh, their brain would snap and they'd be lost. So as we walk around and we see the world, Sometimes faith and hope, denial, becomes the way we see the beauty of things. And we escape from this ever-present potentiality for our lower mind, for our trouble-seeking, thinking mind, to engage in feeling sorry for ourselves and for others. On Saturday night, just to finish this off, on Saturday night, three young boys decided to steal something from a garage nearby. They uh, went down in the basement, stole some things which were worth nothing, probably 20 bucks, just for the joke, as boys do, 16-year-olds. One boy decided to climb the wall of the building that they'd broken into. I heard him hit the deck from three floors up. This 16-year-old boy is now in emergency in the hospital. There is no way he's going to come out of that uh, in a good place. Certainly not in the same place he went in, to that walk, that cl climb up the cliff, the wall. He was unconscious and bleeding from the brain. And his parents have to deal with that. It's easy to fall into the, gee, I feel sorry for them, and gee, I feel sorry for this, and gee, I feel sorry for that. But that'll draw you into the dark and the pain and the suffering. And two people suffering doesn't make one better. We have to let go. 
we have to have faith and trust that whatever was meant to be is beautiful. Something in this, over time, will reveal itself to be magnificent. It's hard, isn't it? Have a beautiful day. Bye for now.